Amen. Well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Psalm chapter 15. Psalm chapter 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm chapter 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not, he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. So the title of the message tonight, Dwelling with the Lord. Dwelling with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to open thy precious word tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us as we look into the word of God that would be challenged and strengthened and edified for your glory and honor. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so dwelling with the Lord. In Psalm 14, the Lord instructed us about the foolish man or the foolish person. He's the person that says, no, God. No, God. Don't want anything to do with God. Don't want God messing in my life. I want to do my own thing. Go my own way. In chapter 15, he instructs us about the faithful man or one who dwells in fellowship with God. You know, as you think about it, the Old Testament, of course, God's presence in the Old Testament dwelt in the tabernacle, in the, in the temple. You know, I don't think like David, that's the Psalm of David, that David is saying, I want to be a priest. You know, just because that was God's dwelling place and that was the place to worship doesn't mean you have to be in the temple or the tabernacle to be in fellowship with the Lord. Any more than you have to be in church to be in fellowship with the Lord. It's in the church, in the assembly, that we are instructed and edified and encouraged and, and, and taught and so on. But we should have fellowship with the Lord or desire fellowship with the Lord continually. Continually. And that's what he's saying here, you know, who or what kind of person or what qualities must be in a person's life to have that continual fellowship? So, three things tonight. First of all, his character. If you notice in verse 2, and I noticed two things here as we think about his character. In verse 2, we see his walk. It says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness. Now, when I refer to his walk, the word, one of the definitions of the word walk is his particular course of life. His course of life. Or we might say the way he lives. Uh, the New Testament describes it as a manner of living. Um, and so we're talking about a particular course here, and it says, he that walketh uprightly. And, and one of the uh, some of the other words used to define this word walketh uprightly or uprightly, it was to be without blemish or undefiled or sound 
or this was part of the definition, altogether given to God. In other words, everything that he has or you are is given to God. Or dedicated to God. The idea is your whole life is dedicated or striving to do the will of God. So when he says he walks uprightly, here's a man that's, that's determined or has uh, set it in his heart to always to give himself completely to God. And, and you mentioned um, uh, without blemish or undefiled. Psalm 19.1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 119.80 uses the word sound. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. You know, it's, the word is used in Exodus chapter 12 in describing the lamb that was to be offered as the Passover lamb. It was to be a lamb without blemish. Without blemish. I believe a good characteristic or a good example of this would be Caleb and Joshua. You know, Numbers 32.12, speaking about them, uh, he says... Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they wholly followed the Lord. And you know, the Bible says five times that Caleb wholly followed the Lord his God. I mean, his life was altogether given to God. I mean, the rest of the children of Israel were ready to stone him and Joshua, but he was given to God. He's walking uprightly. 1 Samuel 13, 14 Speaking about David, you know, and it describes him as a man after his own heart. Uh, and of course, there Samuel, speaking to Saul, said, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded. And of course, David was described in, in, here in, in Samuel, and also in the book of Acts, as a man after God's own heart. You know, David wasn't perfect, but he sought the Lord. You know, even though he fell into sin once, he repented and come back and sought the Lord again. And, and that's the idea here. You know, none of us are without sin, even after we get saved. But we continue to seek the Lord. Our heart is holy to follow the Lord our God. We're given to that. So that's his walk. We notice also his heart. In verse 2 it says, again, at the end of that verse, and speaketh the truth, in his heart. This speaks of firmness or of stability or faithfulness. But as we think of the speaking the truth, integrity of mind. Now it talks about speaketh the truth in his heart. In other words, this is a person that's not double-minded. You know, the heart is described as the seat of the will or the affections or the, the seat of our purpose. And we have a heart that's fixed on the truth. Psalms 108 verse 1 says, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Psalm 112 7, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. See, he is fixed on the Lord. And no matter what happens out on the outer man or in his circumstances, his heart is set, or his will is set, to on the Lord. Of course, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Yeah, Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek ye first. Again, this, this is the idea here of setting your, your heart or your mind on the things of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, Colossians 1, 18 says that in all things he hath, he, that he might have the preeminence. You know, is he, it is not, you know, preeminent that my business succeeds or that I have a comfortable life or that I live. But he is preeminent. See, it's not whether I'm a success or whether I am liked by people or whether my life is comfortable or not or that I even live. But that the Lord is preeminent. That's why Paul said, we live as Christ. To die is gain. Whereas Christ was preeminent to him. He has set his mind or his heart on seeking after the truth. Job is a good picture of this. Go to Job chapter 1. <clears throat> Job chapter 1. <clears throat> and we know the Lord described Job as a, an upright man that feared God and stewed evil, verse 2. And then in verse 13, it says, There was a day, Job 1, 13, there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain thy, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While I was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and the consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, have carried them away, and yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Then again in chapter 2, verse 7 8, So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his head or some of his foot to the, unto his crown. He took him a pot shirt to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. You know, Job lost everything. He lost his family. He lost all his business. That he had his 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 uh, possessions. Then he lost his health. He, everything that a man could lose without dying, Job lost it. But see, Job had his heart set on the Lord. Remember in chapter thirty-three, he says, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." His heart was set. See, Daniel purposed where. In his heart, that he would not defile himself from the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. See, this begins with a thought process. 
Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. See, it begins with a thought process. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. You know, what are you filling your mind with? What do you, so, you know, you fill your mind with what you read, what you watch, what you listen to. If you want to have a heart or a mind that's set on God, you need to spend, you know, people talk about spending quality time with your children or your husband and wife, and those are good things. But you need to spend some quality time with the Lord. You need to get your counsel from the Lord. You know, the Proverbs said, the multitude of the counselors, there is safety. And he's talking about all the counselors, the different counselors of the word of God. You know, from, from Moses to Noah to, to Peter to Paul to James and, and John. You know, we got a multitude of counselors that God has given us through his Holy Spirit in his word. And we need to get our counsel from the word of God so that our heart is set on the Lord. Speaketh the truth in his heart. So we see his character. Secondly, his conduct. His conduct. Verse 3. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up reproach against his neighbor. And, I, and I've got, I guess, four things here as this, we think about his conduct. First of all, his consideration. Verse 3. He is careful with his tongue. His tongue. Careful with his tongue. Um, it says, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. Of course, backbiting refers to slander. Slandering somebody. Uh, look in Proverbs chapter 6. The Bible has a lot to say, of course, about our tongue. Proverbs 6 and verse uh, 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth the wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, if you notice, but three out of the seven have to do with the tongue. Three out of the seven. Almost half. Proverbs 10.18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Now, notice it says, Hideth hatred. With lying lips. See, slander is saying something behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to their face. And he says, He hideth hatred with lying lips, and they uttereth a slander. Clark wrote this about the word backbite. Quote, he says, quote, He is a knave, and that word knave is, means he's unprincipled. He is a knave who would rob you of your good name. He is a coward that would speak of you in your absence what he dared not do in your presence. And only an ill-conditioned dog would fly at and bite your back when your face was turned. All these three ideas are included in the term, and they all meet in the detractor and culminator. 
Uh, his tongue is the tongue of a knave, a coward, and a dog, unquote. And God says, somebody in fellowship of the Lord backbiteth not with his tongue. The Lord warns us many times about the tongue. Proverbs ten nineteen, In a multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. And of course, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give the count thereof in the day of judgment. You know, we're to use our tongues for good. Ephesians 24, 20, uh, Ephesians 24. Yeah, Ephesians 4, 29 says, Uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. That's not befitting or becoming of a child of God. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. You might say, well, yeah, you put a little salt in there, you know, that that that." That's, that's seasoning, uh, yeah, but don't put pepper in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was uh, working in a welding shop years ago, and there was another guy that started another welding shop across, across the valley, about a, about a mile and a half away, by the way, the crow flies from where we were. And this other fellow that I knew who was a mechanic lived in the area, come in one day, and he was talking to my boss, who was my cousin. Of course, everybody in that valley was my cousin. But anyway, he was my cousin, and he said that, and they were talking about this guy's son, and I guess he was kind of cantankerous. And he said, and he, this guy said, yeah, they, the Bible says we're to be the salt of the earth. I think he's the pepper. <laughs> uh, no, we're not to be the pepper. We are to be the salt of the earth. So we, but our tongue, in our tongue needs to be the law of kindness. Secondly, as we think of not only his, we see his uh, careful with his tongue, we see the conduct of kindness. Verse 3 again says, let me get back to my text. Verse 3, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. He doesn't do evil, nor taketh up. And the word taketh up there has the idea of, of lifting up. You ever see somebody exalt the faults of others to make themselves look good? You know, it's, it's, it's something we have to guard against. We, you know, we can exalt the faults of others to make ourselves look better than them. Or sometimes people do it to justify their evil ways. You know, Eli's sons, probably like a lot of young people, probably exalted Eli's faults or sins to justify their wickedness. The Bible does say that Eli restrained them not. However, they were adults. They had the law. They knew what it said. Furthermore, the Bible says if any man said you know, burn the fat first, then, then, then take what's yours. They would say, nay, or we will take it by force. So they were instructed even by the people that their ways were evil. But what they, what they probably did was try to use 
things to justify themselves. You know, we can't. You know, I, this, is, this is a common thing. Well, my parents made me go to church. To make you go to school? To make you brush your teeth? To make you get dressed in the morning? You know, people, people use all kinds of reasons why they won't do right. Or to make themselves look good. To justify themselves. And, and notice he says here, He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. So another question comes up then. Who do I have to do this to? Or who do I have to be kind to? Who is my neighbor? Well, of course, Jesus answered that question in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And really, we can conclude from that, that whoever I would meet is my neighbor. Whether he be friend or foe. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I, was, I have a book at home of short stories and illustrations. And a story in there about this lady was writing about her mother. And she said when she was a little girl, they had a very mean neighbor. And she said we had a fence around our yard and a few chickens, but one day we heard this racket outside and some cursing and some very unkind words, and our chickens came flying back over the fence with their necks wrung. Dead. She said, Mom said, get the pot, put boiling water on, and we cleaned the chickens. And then she put two chickens in the oven. And she said, when those chickens were done, she very boldly took one on a platter and went over the neighbor's front door and knocked on the door. Apologized that her chickens got in her yard and offered him a chicken to a very shamed-faced neighbor. 
See, that's what it means here. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. And then, of course, in Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 4, in verse 30, <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking put away from you with all malice. Let me, let me, let me ask you something here. Bitterness, is it usually provoked? It is. Oftentimes, you know, from a human standpoint, from a hum, just a straight human standpoint, we, we might say a person is justified in their, in many times in their bitterness. But from God's standpoint, not so. You know, usually people are bitter because of some wrong done to them. Now, a lot of this bitterness today is because the kids are just spoiled brats and, you know, want everything given to them. But, but you know, many times bitterness, bitterness has, a, has been provoked, but bitterness is never right. You know, if, if, if bitterness is, is, has any justification, Jesus Christ had a reason to be bitter. Paul had a reason to be bitter. But he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So to do so would be grieving the Spirit of God. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, the same lady you know, said, you know, we were angry at the neighbor. The mom wasn't angry. And so the conduct of kindness, and then also he considers the poor. Notice verse 5. He putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Now, usury is interest. So the idea here is he doesn't lend with interest. But, again, that's not solely. solely. Let, let me give you a little background here. Deuteronomy, you know, God gave some laws concerning interest or charging interest to people in, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 23.20 says, Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand in the hand to in the land where thou goest to possess it. Now, in Leviticus, then, uh, where did I write here? Leviticus 25. Go to, go to Leviticus 25. I'm going to read a couple verses there. Leviticus 25. It expands upon that. In verse 35 to 38. Now there was only one reason why a brother of an Israelite would borrow. Verse 35. If thy brother be waxen poor and fall in decay with thee, then shalt, shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Thou, take thou no usury of him or increase, but fear thy God that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. 
I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So he says, he, he, he makes it evident here, you're not to give to the one who's fallen uh, in decay or fallen poor for some reason upon usury. Not supposed to trust or charge interest. You're to lend to it without interest. Uh, you know, the Bible isn't condemning giving your money to interest, earning interest wholly. In fact, man, Jesus said, remember in the parable of the talents, he said, thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury or with interest. So a wise investor invests his money to get interest, to earn interest. But the, when he's saying here, when he's saying he putteth not out his money to usury, he's talking about not taking advantage of people or getting unjust gain. Uh, for example, go to ne- Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. And the idea here is, is, is uh, taking advantage of the poor. Nehemiah chapter 5. If I can find it. I think it's in my Bible still. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. And, of course, the condition here is, you know, the children of Israel have about 50,000 have gone back to the land. They're in, they're in difficult times. Many of them are in very difficult times. Uh, and so, and, of course, then there there are those who have, and there's those who don't have, and, and, and because of the difficulties. But verse 1 says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, notice the brethren, the Jews, for there were that said, We our sons and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dirt. So there was a famine. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our children, our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is, is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, Ye exact usury, and every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. And I said unto them, We after our ability have redeemed our brethren the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen, and will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace, and found nothing to answer. Also I said, It is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen our enemies? I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money of, and of the corn, the wine, and the oil that you exact of them. Then said they, We will restore them, and we will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. So here you had these, you know, some of them waxing poor because of the dearth of the famine, and so they would go to those who had money. And they'd mortgage their lands, you know, and their houses, 
And they were beginning to sell their daughters and their sons. And the biggest difficulty was because they were charging them interest. They couldn't pay it. See, what they were doing here was taking advantage of the poor. Just like the Pharisees did. Remember what Jesus said, you know, you, you rob widows' houses? They were taking advantage of the poor. It's not wrong to invest your money and earn interest, but it is wrong to take of the poor or use them to your advantage to gain wealth. And of course, you know, we're not talking about welfare bums. They didn't have welfare back then. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. if you didn't work, you didn't eat. You know, again, we see here from Nehemiah that what they were doing was their children were becoming slaves. They still had to work. Proverbs 14, 21 and 31 says this, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Verse 31, He that oppresseth the poor reproaches his maker. And that was, that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 5. They were oppressing the poor. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. Proverbs 17, 5. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 19, 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. And Proverbs 21, 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but he shall not be heard. Reminds me of the the uh, rich man and Lazarus. He stopped his ears at the cry of Lazarus, and he was not hurt. Proverbs 12.2, a good man. I'm sorry, Proverbs 22.9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. So a man that walks in fellowship with the Lord, dwells with the Lord, is considerate of the poor, but he also condemns the wicked. He condemns the wicked. Notice verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned. You know, Robert, or, uh, Psalm 97.10 says this, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Hate evil. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. You know, some people say, oh, you shouldn't hate anything. God says you should. There's things God hates. There are people God hates. And he says here that in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. Proverbs 12.2 says, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices, he's talking here about a good man, a man of wicked devices, will he condemn? He'll condemn him. A good man will condemn a man of wicked devices. Or wicked motives. You know, there's a 
very, how do I say this? Blunt verse in Jeremiah 48.10. It says, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. You know, King Saul spared Agag, the best of the sheep, and the best of the oxen. What did the man of God Samuel do to Agag? He took a sword and hewed him to pieces. He didn't spare him. Not at all. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are doing the work of the Lord deceitfully. They're afraid to take the sword and make it cut. Instead, they take the sword and use it to their advantage and write books about it that pervert it and twist it to make money. In Pennsylvania, I was talking to a friend of mine about TV evangelists. And one particular name came up, and I said, yeah, he's a false prophet. He said he writes a book, John Hagee, in defense of Israel, claiming that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Why do you do that? Well, it's something new to sell a book. And I know that's what he wrote because I got the book. I bought the book at used bookstore just to, so I could verify what I'd heard. No, cursed be he. You know, God says we're to condemn the wicked. We're to condemn them. We need to expose them for who they are. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Chris Teal had a good message on separation at the conference, and he preached from this passage. Romans 16. And verses 16, or 17 and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the documents you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. They are serving themselves. They are doing the work of the Lord deceitfully. And Paul says you need to mark them. The word mark there is scopio, like the scope on your rifle, you put your crosshairs on them, you identify it. You know, we always say, you know, when you're hunting or you're shooting, you need to identify your target. We need to identify it. That's what Paul's saying. We need to identify it. We need to condemn them. Paul named them. Hymenaeus and Alexandra. He named them. He said the resurrection's already passed. So he condemns the wicked. Then I want you to notice a third thing, finally. We notice not only his, uh, his uh, character, his conduct, and then his continuance. Notice again verse uh, 4. It says, In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. In other words, he changes not for self-preservation. 
He swears to his own hurt and changes not. Your Bible tells us in Genesis 37 that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, I don't think I'm reading between the lines here. We can, we can simply say, safely say that Joseph simply told the truth about his wicked brothers to one who could do something about it. You know, we, we, well, you don't, you don't want to be a tattletale. Hey, if you know something about someone that would, that would correct their way potentially, you need to tell an authority over that someone. It's right. It's right to do so. And that's what Joseph was doing. You know, there, there, are no other, there are no examples anywhere of character flaws in Joseph's life. And that was not a character flaw. He was simply telling the truth, knowing that he was going to be hated for it. I mean, he's one of twelve. But he wouldn't change. He wouldn't change. Daniel held his convictions even though facing opposition and possibly death. He swore to his own hurt and changed not. I'm not going to change. I can't, I can't change what God has commanded simply because you are the king. You know, Joshua and Caleb held to their beliefs in, 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 uh, founded, uh, based upon the word of, what the word of God said even though they were almost stoned for it. And Stephen held his even though he was stoned. See, these men all swore to the truth. Swear to their own hurt and changeth not. They held to the truth. You know, I was always told that honesty is the best policy. A couple years ago, I pulled out of Tractor Supply. I'd owned a right one. No, wait a minute. No, I think I pulled out of Sheets. Because I pulled over into Tractor Supply. Anyway, I think I was pulled out of Sheets. I started up the road. Blue lights come on. So I pulled in, I think it was Tractor Supply I pulled into. Anyway, in the meantime, when I saw the blue lights, I put my seatbelt on. And so when I pulled over and he came walking out to me, it was a Youngsville police officer, and he said, when I saw you, did, I, did you have your seatbelt on? I said, I don't know when you saw me. But no, I probably did not. <laughs> uh, and I got a ticket for it. Um, but I probably did not. I said, I do usually wear my seatbelt, but for some reason I just didn't forgot to stick it on when I got back in the car. And I usually do, you know. Even though I don't like the thing, I wear it. Uh, you know, we, yeah, and that cost me. Now, I, 
went to court and I got out of it, but it cost me a day at court. Anyway, uh, but we need to be willing to tell the truth even if it hurts because it's right. God will always honor the truth. He'll always honor it. Then also we see here, he keeps himself. He keeps himself. Verse 5 says, the end of that verse, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Now again, we're talking about dwelling with the Lord or walking in fellowship with the Lord, speaking of continuance. And it says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. In other words, be moved away from dwelling or fellowshipping with the Lord. He that doeth these things. See, keep putting God first. If he's preeminent in all things, if we're obedient to the things he shows you as you learn of him, you will keep yourself and not be moved from your relationship, your fellowship with the Lord. You know, Jude uh, 20 and 21 says this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So we need to keep building ourselves up. How do we do that? Keep that mind. Remember, we talked earlier about speaking the truth in his heart, having a mind set, focused on the Lord, on the truth. You know, we need to keep doing that. You know, the Christian life is a lot about we're not saved by doing. But we keep ourselves in fellowship with the Lord by doing. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. John 3.21 But he that doeth truth cometh to life, that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. 1 John 2.17 The world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Just talking to a man this week. I said, there's no substitute to obeying the word of God. You have to do it. If you want to walk with the Lord, if you want to be blessed to the Lord, you have to obey Him. You can go your own way and do your own thing. You can forsake the church, but you'll be like that log that's pulled away from the fire which is going to go out. And of course... This all goes back to the heart. Colossians says in Colossians chapter 3, we need to set our affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Set our heart, our will, our purpose on making the Lord preeminent in every area of our life. You know, really, this guy I was talking to, you know what his problem is? 
there's an area of, a life, of his life that he won't surrender to the Lord. And that's justification for him forsaking church. You know, we need to set our hearts on the Lord. Set our heart on the Lord. Allow the Lord to work in every area of life. Surrender every area of life to him. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. You know, it took, now it was 40 years till Caleb actually saw that land again. They looked at. They laid his eyes on and picked grapes from when he went in as a spy. But it was 40 years till he actually saw the fruition of his faith. You know, God will reward us in due time. If we set our heart on doing that which is right in his sight. Might God help us to dwell, to walk in fellowship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that gives to us and the encouragement. We thank you that thou art the Lord God. We thank you, Father, that you are our Father. And I pray you help us to find rest and comfort and encouragement and strength in thee. Help us to be faithful, to set our hearts upon you, to walk in truth. As thou hast commanded and hast taught us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.